Hi, I'm Sophia Ruan Goucher, author of the critically acclaimed best-selling book, A to Z of Detoxing, The Ultimate Guide to Reducing Our Toxic Exposures, and founder of Ruan Living, the only wellness lifestyle brand that simplifies practical non-toxic living. Welcome to my podcast. Because it's Mental Health Awareness Month, I was curious about what the science has discovered about how toxic chemicals, heavy metals, and EMFs from what we buy, own, and do, how they can influence mental health. And I focus on what we can buy, own, and do because those are easy things we can control. It's much harder to control outdoor air quality. It's much easier to change a lot of things like our purchases and our behavior to influence or improve indoor air quality. I was surprised by how much science has been exploring this question. And I was overwhelmed by how to sift through it all and do a really responsible job this morning. So I decided to pursue four questions in this next hour. One, I'll talk about generally what's going on with our mental health. Two, how is our mental health influenced by our toxic exposures? Three, which neurotoxicants are the worst for our mental health? And I'll focus on the neurotoxicants that we can easily avoid from our daily lives. And I'll wrap up with what are some simple tips to avoid neurotoxicants. So let's just take a macro level view of what is going on with mental health. And I needed to look up exactly what is mental health. So here is an explanation from the CDC. It says that mental health includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It affects how we think, feel, and act. It also helps determine how we handle stress, relate to others, and make healthy choices. Mental health is important at every stage of life, from childhood and adolescence through adulthood. And I was wondering how many different kinds of mental illnesses are there? And the CDC proceeds to explain people can experience different types of mental illnesses or disorders. They can occur at the same time. They can occur over short periods of time, or you can have episodes of them, or they can be chronic, like ongoing and long lasting. There are more than 200 types of mental illnesses. So what's going on with our mental health? The United Nations reports that nearly 1 billion people have a mental disorder. What's really alarming is that around one in seven teenagers have a mental disorder. So let's dive a little deeper. With adults, as I just said, a billion people around the world suffer from mental illness. Within the United States, it's estimated that it's about 20% of US adults who live with a mental illness. This equates to about tens of millions of Americans. And looking at our youth, the kids ages 13 to 18, more than 20% of them have had a seriously debilitating mental illness, either currently or at some point during their life. About 40% of adults live with a serious mental illness, such as schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, or major depression. And 
The White House reported in April 2023 that drug overdose deaths are also near record highs. The World Health Organization has reported that people with severe mental health conditions are more likely to die as much as two decades earlier due to preventable physical conditions. So I, I wanted to think more about our youth because there is some sort of epidemic and crisis going on with our teenagers and even younger than that. As I said earlier, the UN estimates that one in seven teenagers have a mental illness. 50% of all lifetime mental illness begins by age 14 and 75% by age 24. Suicide rates among those ages 10 to 14 is the second leading cause of death. Among those ages 15 to 29 years old, suicide is the fourth leading cause of death. So with 200 different types of mental illnesses, I decided to focus on anxiety and depression because they are the most prevalent. According to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, about 19% of U.S. adults have anxiety disorders, approximately 8% have major depressive episodes, and worldwide it's estimated that 5% of adults suffer from depression. The science starts examining how women are more vulnerable or vulnerable in different ways than men. It's estimated that women are more affected than men by depression. And depression and anxiety disorders cost the global economy about a trillion dollars and lost productivity each year. So there are so many motivating factors to understand all the different contributing factors to mental health. Here, I wanted to share that depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So with women, who are twice as likely to develop mood disorders compared with men, the incidence is greatest during reproductive transitions, including pregnancy and postpartum. Generally, menopause has not been studied as much, but menopause is another stage of life where there are dramatic changes in hormones. So I suspect that later on, probably decades from now, a lot more science will be examining that. Because these are periods characterized by dramatic hormonal and physiological changes, there is extra vulnerability to external factors, including environmental toxicants. There were studies on postpartum depression, and one study found that second trimester non-persistent chemical exposure was associated with increased postpartum anxiety and depression symptoms. Another study in 2021 found that endocrine disrupting chemicals may influence hormonal shifts during pregnancy, as well as contribute to postpartum depression. Here on the next slide, I, I wanted to point out a quote that stood out to me about what was going on before the pandemic, because the pandemic is an extraordinary event that of course had devastating impacts. But I was curious what was going on with mental health trends before the pandemic. And this quote says, our study confirms 
escalating increases in depression from 2015 through 2019, reflecting a public health crisis that was intensifying in the US even before the onset of the pandemic. The net effect of these trends suggests an accelerating public health crisis. And we can all imagine how the pandemic exasperated that trend. And this quote is from Renee Goodwin, an adjunct professor in the Department of Epidemiology at the Columbia School of Public Health. So how is our mental health influenced by our toxic exposures? I was reminded about a quote that was in my book, A to Z of Detoxing, which was published in 2015. So this quote from 2014 was relatively recent back then. It is a quote by the U.S. National Academy of Sciences. They estimate that 28% of neurobehavioral disorders could be attributed directly or indirectly to environmental contaminants, not including alcohol, tobacco, or drug abuse. So I like to remind people who often think that genetics is a lot of our destiny, that science has increasingly estimated that non-genetic factors play a meaningful influence on our health outcomes. And mental health, as we'll see, falls in this category. There are an estimated 200 chemicals reported as neurotoxicants in humans, ranging from heavy metals to air pollution to inorganic compounds. This is a screenshot from the article on neurotoxicants. And I just wanted to point out that in this section, which talks about sources of exposure to neurotoxicants, that they do also highlight household items containing neurotoxic chemicals. That's what I focus on, the things we can easily control. And at the end of this workshop, I'll talk about the simple tips that you can follow to minimize your exposure to neurotoxicants from household items or, or behavior. So some findings I thought were interesting, and I kind of just, I'm just sharing a few things that stood out to me. Again, there's so much more science on this, but I thought it was interesting that scientific studies have been associating these toxic exposures to headaches, cognitive dysfunction, memory disturbance, and other neurological signs and symptoms they recognize that disruption of brain function can also manifest as subtle or overt alteration in thoughts, moods, or behavior. So if you experience any of these symptoms or other things related to the brain and nervous system, just consider that maybe toxic exposures in your home and your, in your routines, if they were reduced, maybe that might help. Some other things I thought were interesting are just, and as I read it, it sounds so obvious, but it, didn't, it seemed interesting when I read it. Thoughts and moods are the result of biological processes. So disordered thoughts and moods may be the result of disordered biological processes. And that was in a study published on PubMed. And just again, driving home the point, various studies confirm that some chemical toxicants 
which modify brain physiology have the potential to affect mood, cognitive function, and to provoke socially undesirable outcomes. So in summary, what I learned from reviewing probably, I don't know, dozens, dozens of, of research reports, I think if you're concerned about mental health, avoiding toxic chemicals, heavy metals, and EMFs is another way to support the stressful factors that contribute to mental health. The science has been underscoring our unique vulnerabilities. We definitely have genetics that play a role. I thought it was interesting that the evidence from prenatal BPA exposure, and BPA is a hormone disrupting chemical that's used in many things, but it's been studied a lot. Uh, it's one of the most notorious chemicals, and it's often found in plastics and many other household items, which we'll talk about later. But prenatal BPA exposure is being associated with more symptoms of anxiety and depression in boys, but not in girls at age 10 to 12 years old. And other studies were indicating that boys may be more vulnerable to these toxic exposures in terms of mental health. As I've talked about, non-genetic factors are also being recognized by scientists as having a meaningful influence on mental health. And again, I'll say timing of exposure is critical to the severity of neurotoxicant effects. The most vulnerable time is in utero, then other stages in life where hormones, where there's like dramatic development in our biology, which also includes our brain. So that includes early childhood, adolescence, and I believe menopause, and I'm not a scientist or a physician. But the science has also been showing that low levels of exposure to neurotoxicants during key developmental periods may be enough to cause irreparable brain injury. One obvious example is lead. And I wanted to point out in case you're not familiar with this idea, but many endocrine disrupting chemicals and other toxic exposures can cross the placenta and enter the fetal bloodstream where they pose risks so this idea that these toxic exposures are just external to our body and don't enter our penetrate through our skin or get inhaled or ingested through dust is something more people need to know that and also recognize that once inside the journey that these exposures, these chemicals and heavy metals have is highly complex. So we just want to consider reducing toxic exposures as important as eating healthy, sleeping well, getting regular exercise. And there's a lot of science pointing out that minority populations are more adversely affected. So a multi-pronged approach to optimizing mental health can reduce societal costs and improve life quality for many. So which exposures are the worst for our mental health? 
again, we spoke earlier about what neurotoxicants are. I'm going to talk about three general types of neurotoxicants. One is heavy metals, two is air pollution, and three are endocrine disrupting chemicals. And I decided to pick these three based on the article I mentioned earlier about neurotoxicants in the developing brain. Starting with heavy metals, metals are the most widely studied and concerning set of neurotoxicants. Few have been studied as well as lead. And as you may know, lead was banned from gasoline in the 70s and lead paint in the U.S., but it's still really common. It's still a relevant concern. And scientists have found that any detectable amount of lead can be harmful to neuropsychological outcomes at all ages. Exposure to heavy metals like lead can have a substantial impact on the development of neurocognitive functions, such as attention, memory, and general executive function. Overall, lead exposure has wide-ranging implications for a variety of neuropsychological processes that are often associated with mental health problems, particularly those associated with ADHD. More research is needed to really understand this further, and I want to point out that, as I said earlier, lead has been studied more than most toxic exposures, and we still recognize a lot more research is needed to understand how it affects us. Annual costs for lead poisoning and methylmercury toxicity is estimated at $60 billion for 2008. Air pollution is another major concern and contributing factor to mental health. When scientists study how air pollution might affect mental health, one thing they look at is something called PM, and it measures the diameter of a solid particle. The studies have found that children are likely to be the most vulnerable to potential neurotoxic effects of PM because brain maturation continues through the third decade of life. In adults, there's evidence to support the hypothesis of links between PM exposure and depression, anxiety, and suicide risk. Further studies on research are needed. Again, early life exposures are really meaningful. Human MRI findings suggest that prenatal and postnatal childhood exposure to PM particles that are the size of 2.5 may affect brain structure and function. These prenatal and childhood air pollution exposures have been associated with poor neurodevelopmental and emotional outcomes, including emotional behavior problems, impaired emotional regulation, anxiety, depression, ADHD, autism spectrum disorder, psychotic experience, and increased likelihood of being prescribed psychiatric medication. One study in 2020 reported that exposure to air pollution was associated with diagnosis of depression and depressive symptoms in elderly women. Women with impaired cognition may be at greater risk of depressive symptoms when exposed to air pollution. So even though there's a lot more study on early life exposures, the few studies on adults and on humans later on in the lifespan, we're finding associations with 
toxic exposures and depression and anxiety. In summary, studies found that emerging data suggests a link between outdoor PM and mental health. So what's interesting to me is I focus on indoor air quality and indoor air quality has been estimated by the US EPA to be two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, even in the most industrialized cities. And that's just an average. Sometimes it can be way higher than five times more polluted than outdoor air. So the next major neurotoxicant I wanna to get to are endocrine disrupting chemicals. They're defined by the World Health Organization as exogenous chemicals that interfere with the endocrine system and thus cause adverse effects in an organism, including developmental malformation, increased risk of cancer, reproductive problems, and interference with normal function of the immune and nervous systems. The studies I looked at reported that endocrine disrupting chemicals are capable of disrupting the structure and function of neural systems directly via neuroendocrine related mechanisms. Okay, so that's like a lot of words. In general, let's just think about when we're developing in the womb, hormones are guiding the development of our biological foundation, our brain, our heart, our respiratory system, everything. And there's a body of science called fetal origins of adult onset diseases. So scientists are increasingly recognizing that health issues that occur later on in life may have fetal origins. And if you just think about how hormones were guiding the development of our foundation, and they continue to guide so many other biological processes and also participate in our moods and our thoughts, probably our perspectives too, then you can just more intuitively understand why endocrine disrupting chemicals are something to avoid as much as practically possible. From what I read of the research, science has found associations between endocrine disrupting chemicals and a number of psychiatric neurodevelopmental disorders, including autism spectrum disorder, ADHD, anxiety and stress disorders, depression and others. And there are an estimated 800 endocrine disrupting chemicals. I've sometimes seen an estimate of a thousand, but really since World War II, because there have been over 84,000 chemicals introduced into the U.S. and less than 1% have been studied, there are probably a lot more that we just don't know about. The main endocrine disrupting chemicals that scientists have been studying are DES, which is an acronym for a very long name that describes a chemical or, yeah, I'll call it a chemical that was given to pregnant women in, I believe the seventies, many decades ago to help prevent miscarriage. And later scientists and doctors realized that it was increasing the risks of certain cancers and reproductive malformations, but it's also being studied for how it might contribute to mental health. But it's one of the few highly studied chemicals. And PCBs is also a chemical that was used widely in the 70s. It was replaced by other chemicals that are chemically 
similar. So it's really good to understand the health effects of PCBs and it affects us even today, which I'll talk about in a little bit in the tip section, but PCBs and the next one, PBDEs are two highly persistent chemicals that have been phased out, but are still very much in our drinking water, food supply, and in other things and in our bodies. And BPA also is highly studied as our phthalates. So getting to the simple ways to avoid neurotoxicants. Simple tips to avoid lead. Because lead is so prevalent in dust and soil, we can carry lead dust from the bottom of our shoes. Having a no shoes at home policy is a high impact way to reduce lead dust in your home. There's a study referred to sometimes as the doormat study by the EPA that found that leaving shoes at the door and also wiping the bottom of your shoes before they enter a home can reduce lead dust by as much as 60%. And because lead is also often in dust, it's so helpful to wash hands definitely before you eat and after touching dusty things, like if you've been working with electronics, there tends to be a lot of dust around electronics or other types of technology, then wash your hands afterwards. It's a simple high impact tip. So lipstick has been found to have a lot of lead. One study in 2016 by the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics found that 61% of lipsticks they tested contained lead. One report said that in 2012, the FDA tested several hundred lipsticks from 20 popular brands and FDA scientists found lead in every one of them. Lead can contaminate the mineral pigments that color lipsticks, particularly red lipsticks. So because it's hard to know which lipstick is safe, you can just do what I call the love test, which is ask yourself, do I love or need this lipstick right now? And there will be times when the answer is yes, and then just enjoy it when you do. But there are many times where it actually isn't that important to you. And it's helpful to know that your lipstick could offer toxic exposures. And if you love lipstick, then there are really great resources to find less toxic ones and maybe even non-toxic ones. Again, I need to point out young life must be protected. Lead is especially dangerous for pregnant women and those of childbearing age because lead can cross the mother's, from the mother's blood into the placenta, causing permanent damage to the developing fetus's brain. And I know that might be really, really upsetting depending on who's listening to it and where you are in your life. I just want to point out my children, my three daughters who are brilliant have definitely had lead exposure and they're still brilliant. So just because you're exposed to something toxic doesn't mean like horrible outcomes will happen. Everything is a result of many complex factors. So simple tips to avoid BPA. BPA can be inhaled or absorbed. It's been found in reusable bottles, especially plastic bottles, microwave oven, where food storage containers, it's often in the internal coatings of food and beverage cans and children's toys. It's also been found in some polyester-based clothing with spandex, 
So when buying socks, avoid ones made from polyester with spandex. You can look for socks made with mostly cotton, wool, or other natural fibers. And another simple tip is if you still have socks with or other clothing made with polyester and spandex, just wear them as little as possible. Just remove them after you work out. I also did a workshop, which is, I believe it's on the blog on receipts, BPA or even substitute chemicals with similar concerns are often or too often on receipts and you can absorb it through your fingertips. So if you want to learn more about that, there's plenty more about that at the blog on Ruan Living. And also we made that workshop into a podcast. But uh, if you watch it, you can see the visuals that I put together. So simple tips to avoid phthalates. Phthalates are used in pharmaceuticals, cosmetics, personal care products, and packaging. One easy way to decrease your exposure to phthalates and many other toxic chemicals is to declutter. This is just another reason to edit your stuff, get rid of things you don't love or need, and prioritize cleaning, like vacuuming. Also, be picky about what you buy. Try and buy less because generally things are made of petrochemicals and can expose us to toxic exposures. So buy mindfully and Ruan Living offers many ways to help simplify this complex challenge. Simple tips to avoid PCBs. Banned in many countries, including the United States in the 70s, PCBs are still persistent and ubiquitous environmental contaminants. They were popular for industrial uses in the early 30s. And food accounts for over 90% of our PCB exposure, the highest concentrations being found in fish, like salmon and shellfish, dairy products, especially milk and butter, and animal fat. So I just take that information as a, another motivation or challenge to think how can I eat a more plant-based diet. Simple tips to avoid air pollution. So you can focus on improving your home's indoor air quality. Some simple tips are allow fresh air exchange when outdoor air quality is better than indoor air quality. Ventilate when you cook. Consider an air purifier, especially in your bedroom where the average person spends a third of their life. And if you want to learn more about how you can detox your household products, then Ruan Living's Detox Academy helps you detox gradually. If you want a deep dive, there's a 40-day home detox. A less toxic lifestyle is waiting for you. The Detox Academy is a monthly membership, which is something I dreamed of during the eight years I researched and wrote A to Z of detoxing, because I didn't want to do the research. I want to just ask an informed mom, what should I know about baby bottles? Which one should I buy? What should I know about pots and pans? And so the Detox Academy, which is still relatively new and evolving all the time, is meant to be what I always wanted, just a super practical resource. So no matter what time it is, 
where you are in the world, you have this online universe that you can tap into for support and tips in as little time as possible. So regarding EMFs, I just, the one thing I'll say is that the wireless exposures from our technologies is unlike it's ever been before for mankind. It's 24 seven and every year there are countless new wireless products entering the consumer marketplace, our homes, our schools, our workplaces, our public spaces. So it's so important to allow your body and brain time to repair, you know, time to have a break from that energy. And so your bedroom is a high impact opportunity to detox EMFs. And one simple thing you can do is ideally you would not have a phone, an a cellular phone in your bedroom. That is really impossible for most people, including myself. So you can use airplane mode to disable your wireless emissions. Airplane mode can be used to disable Bluetooth, cellular, and Wi-Fi. And you do always have to check because the settings change by themselves. And remember that distance is your friend. So the further away these wireless sources are from your body, the less the exposure because the wireless emissions dissipate with distance. And the wireless radiation can weaken our cell membranes. It can weaken the blood-brain barrier and probably other membranes in us. And so the blood-brain barrier, for example, helps protect the brain from toxic compounds in our blood. So this is an example, one of many, in which one exposure, like EMFs, can make us more vulnerable to another exposure, like lead. So I don't want you to be overwhelmed, but just know that if you just put reducing toxic exposures on your map of wellness, like eating well, sleeping well, exercising, then that's awesome. And that's all I want is for you to think about it as often as you think about eating well. And small detox tweaks can transform every, for example, detoxing your cleaning products, huge impact on your indoor air quality. Every time you're in the home, you, you are better off now. And there's so many other simple ways. And that's what Ruan Living is here to help you with. And there are lots of replays of past workshops. There is one on forever chemicals in things like our diet. Can't remember things that touch our skin. And there's like a forever chemicals 101. And there's also like a starter for detoxing your cleaning. And then a basic home detox series to help you detox your air, water, dust, hands, and sleep area. Thanks for listening. For podcast show notes, visit www.ruanliving.com, spelled www.ruanisinnontoxicliving.com. To more easily listen to other episodes, please subscribe to the Practical Non-Toxic Living Podcast. And if you'd like to support it, please like it and share it. Until next time.